Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality, organic, bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. path into health and healing can be a straight, clear line, but often it isn't. Many of us spend our early careers trying on many other hats, while we seek a viable way to make a living. As alternative healing practices have found their footing in our country, many of us find our way to our true calling. Today we're talking with Zoe Fallian about oriental healing modalities and the path to practice. Now here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Welcome, Zoe. I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Yay. So you have had a very long and sordid path, really, when it comes to finding your calling as an acupuncturist. Yes, I have. I try to avoid it for as long as possible. Isn't that crazy? A lot of us do that in our younger years. We really try to avoid the health and healing, and yet... Here we are. Here we are. Why did you want to avoid it? I don't know. Looking back and trying to figure out why I've done everything I've done, I think part of it. (laughs) (laughs) And that paints the colors of the next interview. (laughs) (laughs) Well. (laughs) Um, I think part of it was... um, I didn't really, really know what I wanted to do. And I kind of had this vision of what would be a good fit, but it always felt like so outside of my life and my reality. But it also was the safety thing that that thing is there. And if all of this other stuff I tried doesn't work, I can always do that. There's always that. But what if I did that and that didn't work? Mm-hmm. Then there was then, nothing. Oh God. It's all <laughs> There's gone. Nothing There's else. nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. that was kind of always that was in the background. And, and what are some of the other crazy things you've tried? Because there's got to be a list of them. <laughs> um, straight out of school, actuarial trainee. I was an actuarial trainee, and the company that that hired me. They actually did my very first on-campus interview. But while I was waiting for my interview, I was reading the materials for the second interview. So I forgot that this was not that other position. So I went in (laughs) thinking I was interviewing for the other position. And I kept thinking, why is this woman asking me these weird questions? What do all of this have to do with loss control? She's trying to trip you up. Right. And of course, with my weird answers that have nothing to do with actuarial work, I get that job. So, nice. yeah. But then um, I went back to school, got another bachelor's degree in psychology. Then I started working at Trader Joe's. I was with them for 15 years. I tried real estate. And then I was like, okay, I give up. <laughs> real estate's got to be exhausting. I did that that for a year. That sounds like a really tiring, intensive sort of career. (laughs) It was. And the most difficult part of it was, oh, I have to sell myself? Mm. No. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of us end up avoiding the health and healing because it sounds like it's going to be so draining and tiring. 
Is that what you find at all with acupuncture? Is it an exhausting career? No. Exactly. It's not at all. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> the business part of it would be if yeah. like I have to do the marketing. But I've fortunately enough, I've gotten a position at a clinic where the owner who's also an acupuncturist has a background in business and marketing. So she's a lot more comfortable with all of that. So even if I do have to come up with things to do, I feel Mm -hmm. very supported. So no, it's not exhausting. It's fun. Nice. Nice. But to choose something so specific, I mean, you, you chose acupuncture Mm -hmm. and oriental medicine. That's very specific. How did you even come up with that path? I don't know. It's not very clear how it happened. I was exposed to acupuncture as a child. My mom got acupuncture for migraine headaches. Oh, really? Yeah. It worked, right? In Iran. Actually, I don't know. Well, back then I didn't know. I never asked her if it worked. (laughs) So when she lived in there, is that where you're from? That's where I'm from, yes. Okay. All right. Well, Well, tell us that story. Well, she was desperate, so I guess she went for a series of appointments and Honestly, the highlight of those treatments for me and my brother and sister was that she would come home and she would tell us about it. And my dad would cringe. So we would just say, tell us again. Tell us again. <laughs> just to watch your dad cry. Yeah. Nice. Like, Ooh, needles. Oh, you're so terrible. <laughs> so was there a pretty big uh, alternative healing practice available in I don't know what part of the country you were in. What, in Tehran, and in, in the Tehran. capital city. Okay. Right. And Big city. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, because I, I even knew how to say acupuncture in Farsi, so mm-hmm. that was kind of good. And um, there's, even now, I've heard of other friends who travel back that there's a pretty pretty good alternative health um, options there, whether it be acupuncture and Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine. There's a lot of options there. Mm-hmm. Nice. So you grew up surrounded by more than, than we were realized. more um, we brain? used more Western medicine. Okay. I mean grandma would cup my grandpa and you know right. they, they would give us herbs for cough and stuff but so yeah. that is like so alternative compared to the way that i grew oh. up mm-hmm. okay so, then yes yeah, i was surrounded by alternative <laughs> medicine yes i was i was <laughs> so when did you leave iran 1984 oh what were things like at that time um that was five years after the revolution things had changed drastically mm-hmm. um the iran iraq war was on full-fledged so my brother couldn't leave the country and that was one of the main reasons my parents wanted to leave because they wanted to get him out right Right. so we there weren't it didn't seem like there were a lot of opportunities the the restrictions put on people under the guise of religion was just too much Mm -hmm. and you know especially as women and minorities we were armenian we are armenian and yeah it's it's an ethnic and religious minority in iran so Mm-hmm. My mom was afraid that we weren't going to fare very well, right? And Which was com- a reasonable fear. Completely, yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone, not just minorities. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. so, how old were you when you left? I was, I was eighteen. Yeah. Eighteen. Yeah. I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when, just, when you got to the United States, you uh, applied for college, or mm-hmm. did it take a little while to get your feet on the ground? No, I started. I, I landed. In L.A., I think it was July, and started community college in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And what yeah. about your brother? Um, they made it out 
within a year, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, nice. everyone made it out. That's good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah and when you say they, you mean your brother and his, the rest and of the family? my sister and mom and dad, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And extended family, too, actually. Most of them had already moved to California. So has uh-huh. your family been supportive of the idea of you doing acupuncture? I mean, obviously not your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad's main concern was that, yeah, this is just another thing you're going to do and then just drop it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, actually, yeah, they have been. Nice. They even let me work on them. Not oh. needle them. <laughs> my dad won't let me needle them. But yeah. my mom, I've worked on my mom. I've worked on my dad. My mom, I put her on herbal formulas mm-hmm. so yeah. nice yeah you do chinese medicine chinese herbal formulas as well yes and then shiatsu and there was another Twina. one yeah that one the one yeah. that i don't know how to say even though you say it i'm like <laughs> what what is that Twina. the words actually mean push pull mm-hmm. and those are two of the techniques that are used it's it's chinese um deep tissue medical massage really right so okay yeah so it's just a, t- a specific type of massage. It is. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Where do, what kind of tradition is that from? Is that Chinese tradition? Well, I mean, <laughs> Southern, is it um, more rural or is it I actually don't city? know, but it's, it's actually bone setting is part of that too. Oh. Of course, here we can't wow. do that. Chiropractors and doctors won't like it, but. Yeah, um, that would be, that'd be an issue. And yeah. the insurance companies would probably go through the roof. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's not in our fussy anyway. It's not in our scope of practice. I mean, right. They don't even really teach that in our schools. But right. if you studied Twina in China, you would learn bone setting and adjustments and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really deep tissue massage. We have different techniques that we use, and mm-hmm. um, it's really good for a lot of things. If mm-hmm. somebody comes to me and they absolutely do not want me to use needles, I can use Twina, I can use Shiatsu, I can use acupressure, and I can use herbs. So people mm-hmm. think, oh, acupuncturist, no, I don't like needles, but there's plenty of options. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so Shiatsu, yeah. that, what's that? That's um, more of a Japanese energetic mm-hmm. type of massage. It's much more gentler, even though sometimes you can push really hard on acupuncture points. So in a really focused area. It's very, it's very gentle and you're working with gravity really. The patient is usually on the floor and you're kind of just leaning into them with the Mm -hmm. right posture and just going down the meridians and stretching the meridians. And when there's, wherever there's stagnation and blockage, you try to open it. And you feel that. You just feel that or the patient feels it and tells you. What, where blockage. the blockage is, yeah. um, you kind of, there's diagnostic ways you, well, they come in with symptoms right? and um, that kind of guides you. And then you can palpate the channels and the points and you see like some points feel hollow or the texture of the skin is different or it's more moist. Uh-huh. It's, you look at in, in Chinese medicine too, like when we're deciding where to needle there's different systems and some of the systems actually look very closely to the texture of the skin and different parts of the channel and over different points. And is it hollow? Is it, does it feel gummy when you try to put a needle in? I mean, these are all, it's really wow, actually really fascinating. fascinating. Uh, yeah. Science and an art form. It yeah. is. It is. Wow. Yeah. And actually I think learning to do shiatsu and working in the massage clinic at my old school mm-hmm. totally changed the way I, 
started practicing Chinese medicine because I was very much in my head. I never understood when people talked about, oh, I can feel that person's chi. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, or, oh, I see the channels. I'm like, you guys are all cuckoo. <laughs> um, but, I, but I started um, working in the clinic as part of my training. And I would, you know, go do an intake, come out, have a serious plan. I'm going to do this. And then I would go in, put my hands on the patient. And I was like, nope. That's not what we're going to do. The hands are going to go over there. And the patient would be like, wow, that was the best massage ever. And I feel this and that. And I'm like, huh, I should get out of my way more often. Um, So that's what I do. And it's kind of helped me with my practice, especially if I feel confused. Because I want to help people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they come in, they talk, and they're like, oh, my God, I can't figure it out. And, you know, your ego kind of takes over. So you just go, let's just get out of the way. Yeah, the hands will figure it out. (laughs) So what type of patients do you see normally? What kind of people, the average person that walks into your clinic? Um, A lot of um, women in their 30s or early 40s who are trying to get pregnant Mm -hmm. or younger women who have menstrual problems. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of older women, peri and postmenopausal women, those are really fun to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why? Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just the population of women in that age group that have been coming to me. They're just, their awareness of their own bodies are different. Mm-hmm. Um, their priorities are different. And the way they talk and the way they, they are open to doing things is just... Mm-hmm fascinating because everybody you know i grew up thinking old people are set in their ways uh-huh. most of them actually are a lot more open-minded than that <laughs> yeah because yeah. their egos i guess been beaten down enough they know better <laughs> i don't know they learned how to get out of their own way yeah you know yeah. the headiness is something that's very youthful too we mm-hmm. have, this, have this idea when we're young that we know what we're going to do and then we try to do it and the world does not align itself and we're going to just beat the world out of the way exactly except of course the world's a hell of a lot bigger than we are right, so. right. and doesn't really care <laughs> right. exactly yeah. So you have your usual clinic time, and then you also, on Fridays, have a a special clinic that you work with at OHSU at the Oregon Health Sciences University. Yeah, tell me about that. So um, we have a wellness clinic in the neurology department at OHSU Mm -hmm. in South Waterfront. And most of our patients are um, dealing with neuropathies and just pain. Right. Right. so that's what, what what I do on Fridays. You just deal with yeah. people in pain. Yeah. 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 Are they referred from the doctors throughout OHSU or just from that department? Um, mostly from the neurology department. Mm-hmm. It's um, a lot of people who don't respond well to traditional Western treatments. Um, if pain medication isn't working very well for them mm-hmm. or there isn't a clear um, Western diagnosis for them. Right. So they, they, they refer feel, to us that yeah. we don't know what to do with them. Here, you take care of them. <laughs> <laughs> Although some of the um, MDs there also know about acupuncture, and they do recognize that some disorders are dealt really well with and ac- with acupuncture, so they mm-hmm. refer them to us. Mm-hmm. So, so what kind of, of patients do you normally see there? Do you see um, a lot of people with autoimmune diseases? or Some autoimmune um some um, post-chemotherapy 
Oh, and that, yeah. that mm. is the hardest one to deal with because that doesn't really respond very well to even acupuncture. Right. So, um, but yeah, mm. just, and nerve damage, different kinds of nerve damage, whether um, traumatic incident or mm-hmm. uh, autoimmune diseases or something right. else or what diabetes. About, right. That was the other one I was going to ask. <laughs> diabetes. Yeah. Diabetes. Yeah. yeah. Issue a lot of we that. have in our clinic as well. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of uh, I mean, it all seems to manifest in, in the legs mm-hmm. first. And, and, of course, the right leg is worse than the left leg. Yeah. Is, would you have an explanation for part of that as well with the chi thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's... I know that there's <laughs> other reasons for why the left leg would be more difficult than, or easier I than the right leg. don't know. Um, I don't know. I haven't had many patients that I've noticed that on, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. However, I'm pretty sure if I think about it, I can come up with a oh, good explanation. We'll check that later, (laughs) right? Yeah, you've done acupuncture on non-human animals too, right? Yes, I I like to call that out because we humans like to pretend we're not animals, but we are. So, non-human animals, the rest of the population of our planet that's how i refer to them too so i get it so people bring animals into your clinic no i in our clinic we don't um we don't treat animals but i have treated my own dogs and my friends dogs Uh um so when you're in the healing profession people just reach out and say i know this isn't your thing but or I yeah. would, like, they'll be saying my dog, this, that, and then I'm like, well, have you tried acupuncture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Do you find that it often works better on dogs who are older or is it pretty much dogs, you know, whatever, animals? Or cats. Yeah. Yeah. Cats. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and they respond really quickly and they don't have to retain the needle very long. And they don't have to sit there with the needle in for like an hour like I no. do. No, maybe. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need the hour. No, it's five <laughs> or ten minutes and my nice. dog when he used to get acupuncture, he would just lay down and not move and be okay with it. So, yeah. I have a friend that took her cat in for acupuncture, and that was the first time I had ever heard of anything like that before. That kind of blew me out of the water. Mm-hmm. But this is a cat that had so many different things wrong mm-hmm. that it was, you know, when she said, well, what's wrong with your cat? And she would just go, oh, okay, sit down. Here we go. And she, it, the cat responded very, very well to nice. it. And it just it really surprised me. It's very surprising. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I couldn't imagine, you know, I mean, just brushing my cat, but sticking a needle. Come mm-hmm. on. That, I don't know. Yeah. I was had a hard time imagining that. But yeah, yeah it's and amazing. It is. And I think at first they might kind of fight it but then they realize like oh wait this feels Helping. good okay yeah mm-hmm. nice. good. what about children do you have children, children respond very well i actually did one of my rotations um with a pediatrician who did acupuncture mm-hmm. and that was really fascinating you use fewer needles sometimes you use um pediatric twina actually which oh, is nice. say, wait say what pediatric twina so it's really twina but um children's especially infants, their channels aren't as developed like oh, ours. Of course, sure. So there's different pathways and different areas that you mm-hmm. can massage. And sometimes, uh-huh. you know, children don't want needles. Right. Sure. So you just do massage. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So we worked with um, infants and um, young children and they mm-hmm. respond really well to just like non-human animals, mm-hmm. not a, a lot of retention time and not a lot of needles and mm-hmm. nice. you get results. 
If you're going to get results, you'll get them fast. So. I would imagine adolescence would be a time that would be really good for acupuncture yes. because of all the hormonal changes. I mean, yes. if it's good for, you know, PMS and, and menopause and a menopause. Yeah. 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 If nothing else, it'll help them deal with the stress of it and kind of calm them down. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you do any, just real quick, uh, short answer. Do you do end of life, um, acupuncture? Or? I don't, but I have been really interested in that and it's mm -hmm. something that I actually want to kind of look into yeah it just it fascinates me just going through that phase with it someone seems like that's a big mm -hmm. avenue now people are doing mm -hmm. introducing more alternative therapies into that I have a friend who does hospice care he's mm -hmm. a, a hospice that's his job as yeah. a doctor and he has really found a lot of success introducing alternative medicine into that scene it seems like people honor it, they feel more comfortable with it, and there's so much quick effect, right? You know? Yeah, and just the the endorphins and the the calm that you feel. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine that's really helpful when you're dealing with everything that you're dealing in. It's like, oh my gosh, talking about transitions, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah so I would love to. Well, because you were talking about all these things that you enjoyed, and they all seem to be transition based. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. I figured, well, there's Good another catch. one. Yeah. Wow. Hey, I'm a listener. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for speaking with us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for and having me. I want to also remind the, re the listeners that they can check out Zoe's clinic website at www.eugenewellness.com. Contact her on Facebook, which is listed at Annette Zoe Felian. Or send your questions to her email, zoe at lifewellbalanced.com. For information, links, and resources we mentioned on this program, check out our show notes on realherbalismradio.com. Make sure that you sign up for our free newsletter, which brings updates on upcoming recipes, how-tos, newly published ebooks, and more detailed information on topics we discuss on this podcast as we publish them on thepracticalherbalist.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Pinterest, and join us in our conversations on Twitter. Now it's time for Herbalism and Homesteading News. All right, guys, I've got a really interesting study that I found in the British Medical Journal Online, which is called the BMJ Online, or the BMJ.com. And the title for the article is kind of wonky. I think it might be because it was a translation from the original study, which was done in China. Mm -hmm. The title is Consumption of Spicy Foods and Total and Cause-Specific Mortality, Population-Based Cohort Study. Mm-hmm. It was published on, at least in the BMJ, it was published on the 4th of August, 2015. And the block of authors that are related to this study is really long. Yeah. So I'm not going to actually go through and read all of them. There's so many. Right. This is a study that has been done for a long term. And the thing that I thought was really cool about it is that they're citing that if you eat a spicy foods, and they're talking about particularly chili peppers, but mm -hmm. other spicy you know, including hot garlic, yeah, and, yeah, heart father flavors as well. At least once a week, you're increasing your lifespan. Right, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, and what they're really encouraging is if you're eating it every day, yes, or at least yes. six out of that. That got the best results mm -hmm. to the tune of like fourteen percent decrease in. Uh, mortality. mortality. Yeah. So that's a basically you're adding about seven years to your right. lifespan by doing that. Right. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, I love spicy foods anyway. Right. You know, yeah. For you, you know, this is just, just a justification. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now I can justify adding an extra chili pepper in there right. regularly. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, it's it, and it's an amazing study over ten geographical diverse areas, and and China's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, exactly. So they're going from one end of it to another. Yep. They're covering rural areas. They're covering urban areas. Yeah. They've got men. They've got women. They're the the a wide range of ages. Of ages, yeah. Definitely yeah. 30 to 79, I think, is what they did. And, uh, again, it's a four-year study with what, is it like ha- half a million people approximately in yeah. it. Half it's, a million people. It's impressive. Yeah. It's a heck it's of a, a study. Huge so piece it's a huge of work. 3.5 million person years. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's a lot, lot of work <laughs> put lot. into this study. <laughs> a lot of work. And they were really careful about screening some people out that you know already had – um, uh, cancer, cancer or, or diabetes or different things like that. And they're looking yeah. what's the average healthy person, that, uh, what's the effect on the average healthy person. And right. So, yeah, it was a really impressive study and their results were fabulous. And yes. one of the other interesting things in their results is they said very clearly, we there are a lot of pieces here that we just don't understand. Yeah. Like we don't understand how uh, capsaicin, which is in chili pepper, how right. does that affect your, your gut bacteria? Right. We don't right. we don't have the science behind that one yet. So clearly right. that's another study there's that more, needs to yeah, happen. There's more work to do. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which is although for someone like me who's like, I don't need to know why it works, just that it works. Right. I'm right. happy. Right. I'm so happy. But for me, I'm like, oh more questions. <laughs> <laughs> more more answers. Yeah. So yes. I love that. Yeah. It the was, BMJ did a nice job too. They have a nice little um Video. It's a short little video with one of the study mm-hmm. authors presenting the, the findings. And it's relatively short, and they do have it captioned. His English is good, but definitely strong it, accent. Yeah, the accent so. is very strong for the first uh, scientist that spoke, and then the second yeah. one, his his English was quite a bit better. Yeah, but it's a nice, and it's it's a reasonably length reasonable length of video clip if you don't want to read the whole study. Right, definitely. Yeah, I was pretty impressed by it. And what's the takeaway is that it's good to have um, some spice in your diet. Mm-hmm. And that really does have an effect on our bodies. And they talked about the effect on your uh, cardiovascular system. And uh, it's very, very detailed. Yeah, um, so extra, a little bit of extra Frank's hot sauce on your hamburger. Right, that, sure. I mean, that does it, right? Sure. That's the awesome thing. Yeah, yeah but maybe not the hamburger. Well, maybe not the hamburger. <laughs> maybe the hamburger mitigates the hamburger. They had a diversity of diets yeah, that they were looking at. You know? mm-hmm. It was and you know the smoking variable. They they really accounted for a whole bunch of things. And I really loved, you know, drinkers, non-drinkers, former drinkers, whatever. Um, they had the, they talked about people people's uh, frequencies of red meat, fresh vegetables, etc. It was it was really. Really, and they adjusted for family history. Yes, yeah, yeah. I can't it imagine nice. what it'd be like I mean, to try to pull all of those factors together. It's a lot of information to process. Ugh, boy. Well, I just was scanning here. This one sentence kind of stuck out. The ingestion of red pepper was found to decrease appetite and energy intake in people of Asian origin and white people, and might reduce the risk of overweight and obesity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed when we we did Indian diet, and I was using a ton of spices, 
a few years ago, my son was just a wee little thing when I had time to cook that much. And I noticed that we started eating smaller portions overall and we were more satisfied. And I was using a lot of chili peppers because it was you know, right, that's just part about every diet. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something think we see, see a lot. People, they feel tired, they mm-hmm. feel depressed, they feel they're just a really low energy. And our, our body says, well, if you're feeling low energy, you should eat more food. Yeah, But if you're not able to properly digest that food, and right. in this case, it seems like the cayenne, the implications mm-hmm. of the cayenne, it's, it's stimulating your, your body. So you're, you're able yeah. to pull more nutrition out of your food. You know, it's certainly they, there's no question about how cayenne affects your circulatory system. It mm-hmm. really does stimulate the cardiovascular system. So you're just right. feeling more energetic, getting more out of the food that you have. So you're not packing yourself with stuff that you don't need. Right. So this is definitely good news for all my Mexican food plans too. All right. I can increase yeah. the salsas in our diet. All right. <laughs> yeah. Watch out, Patrick. Here we go. Chicken soup with chili peppers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. Oh, look, there's a beautiful salad. With chili, with, peppers. with chili peppers, everything will, will happen. You know, I could there. even find a way to put chili peppers in cocoa. I've done that. That's very nice. Oh, yes, the Mexican very mocha. Tasty, yes. Mm-hmm. And I could see it in cake. Like, how can I add chili peppers to cake? Maybe sprinkle some chili cayenne on the frosting. Oh, spice you're it freaking up. me out mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the one who wants to like, eat all my cooking, right? No, no, no. no, no. No, I'm going to look at everything you bring to a potluck and go, <laughs> is there a fire extinguisher around here? <laughs> Lots of yogurt. <laughs> Lots of yogurt to mitigate it. Yeah, but we suggest taking a look at it. It's it's very well documented. I'm very fascinated with it. There's a PowerPoint that you can download in, in this study as well. And and what do we learn again? A nice, diverse diet with lots of different flavors. Mm-hmm. And that makes for a healthier us. Herbalism 101. This is part of the show where Sue and Candace answer a listener question or teach you about an herbal definition or term covering basic to advanced herbal knowledge. If you would like the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. If we choose your question for the show, we will send you a free PDF ebook, Natural Nutrition by the Practical Herbalist. Currently available for four ninety nine at the Practical Herbalist store. Here's Candice and Sue to discuss this show's Herbalism 101 topic. Today's question comes from Kim. Kim asks, what herbs are good to help stabilize menstruation and can help with fertility? That is an excellent question, isn't it? Yes. Sue, you are kind of a fertility expert, actually. Oh, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> just because I produced multiple babies. Well, that does have something to do with it. And you studied <laughs> midwif- midwifery yes. for a little bit. Okay. And, yep. yeah, so. and we do deal with a lot of uh, female reproductive issues in the clinic. Yes, you do. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, when I think of women's fertility herbs, I, the first thing that pops into my head is Vitex and raspberry, raspberry leaf. Vitex yes. is, is one of those herbs that is, and it's the berry we're talking about, mm-hmm. is one of those herbs that's really great for from um, teenage reproductive issues all the way to uh, menopause. It's right. just fabulous, you know, and and any of the other little issues in between, but it, it right. is not an awesome tasting plant. No, it's not. Although if it's one that you need, it doesn't taste as hideous. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. There are there are some, bad. There are some it, terrible. It, things. Sometimes Vitex can taste bad, and other times it tastes really bad. Yes. So if yeah. it just tastes bad, it's probably one you need. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've had people coming in, and they've got horrible cramps, mm-hmm. and for yep. that, you know, it seems like raspberry, which is really good for a uterine tonic. That is one that comes up for me often. A few days before my period's mm-hmm. ready to start, and the raspberry leaf, yeah. the, not the fresh. Right, the dry. The dry. Very important mm-hmm. that it's the dry because fresh will, if you take that in a tea, you will have terrible diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Want to avoid that. So, yeah. And that's the plant's way. It has a coating on it that disappears when you dry it right. that protects it yes. from grazing. So right. any, anything in that family, it's got that. So you dry it and you get rid of that chemical and then it's wonderful for your reproduction. And, and midwives are always giving raspberry leaf and recommending mm-hmm. it yeah. to uh, pregnant women. Also, fortifying yourself if you're interested in getting pregnant with nettle. Nettle is excellent. Yeah. Strongly recommend that. It's a good nutritive tea. For I think it's got folate women. in it too, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Folic, it's got folic it's acid. Got so the thing is, is that it's it is higher in iron yes. than what you would have for uh, people people that have that get pregnant sometimes run into anemia. So right. it, that's really great for that, but it also is a diuretic. So if you're peeing a lot, you're one of those pregnant people, be prepared for that one. So yeah. drink a lot of water with it, but it's highly nutritive. And a lot of times people with fertility issues also mm-hmm. have nutritional issues. They have a hard time uh, pulling the minerals that you need for good reproductive health out of their food that they eat. And right. Because nettle is so rich yeah. in nutrition. Yeah. It, it barely takes your body any energy at all to pull that stuff out. Right. Yeah. So Dunkwai is another one. Wild yam. Yeah. Wild yam was the one that you that you popped up with. Yeah, actually, wild yam and Dunkwai were the two that you suggested to me a few years ago when I had a uterine cysts that were causing some really severe flooding and really bad cramping, mm-hmm. really bad. And I was using the wild yam. I think it, that one was the one that was the first half of my cycle. And the uh-huh. Kwai was through the whole cycle. Right. Except for not during the period itself. Uh-huh. And it ended up really, it was a matter of, I think, three months. And the problem that I had been experiencing for at that point, I think about three years. Mm-hmm. Had been, it, was a, it had been slowly building and getting worse and worse. And after following that course for about, I think it was about three months, it took care, it of, took it. care of it. Yeah. yeah. So you just it's a beautiful thing. that boat a little bit. Yeah. If you're trying to get pregnant, then it's not always the woman that needs the help. It's oftentimes that's, the male too. Exactly. So yeah, that's I wasn't sure in this question whether we're looking at just trying to deal with fertility issues or if you're looking at pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at pregnancy, then there's some you know few herbs that men can do as well, like tribulus, pine pollen, mm-hmm. um, saw palmetto, and maca. And maca, yep, yep. So all of those are good. If you're interested in a lot more information on men's health and men's fertility, I would strongly recommend the Natural Testosterone Plan by Stephen Herod Brunner, Mm -hmm. B-R-U-H-N-E-R. Okay. (laughs) I always say that run wrong. But anyway, it's an excellent book that talks in depth about men's fertility and especially men's fertility for men who are passing the young testosterone raging years and getting into the middle years. Right. Yeah. And we Um, do have a few links on our site as well about recipes for supporting 
uh, reproductive health. And yeah, you've got some excellent, excellent yeah. ones for women's reproductive health and too. So keep in mind, you know, this is, this is not one, you take a dose of it and it's all fixed. Right. You have to yeah. continuously work on it. Yeah. You know, it, it took a while for your body to get into a place where it's having some trouble. So be patient with your body. Yes. You know, be gracious with your body, be respectful to your body and keep taking things that are nutritious and helpful and healing mm-hmm. for a long time. Be steadfast. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. If you're feeling social, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms Practical Herbalist. This show has been sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Until next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist.